In less than one half hour, learn more about what really matters. This is the Faith Debate, a theological roundtable gab fest, a free-for-all forum with faith community leaders wrestling over the truth. In less than one half hour, learn more about what really matters than what most others learn in a week. The Faith Debate is on the World Wide Web at WFMD.com, keyword faith. Are you ready for the clash of ideas? Are you ready for the sound of freedom? Let's get ready to rumble in this corner, weighing in with a master of divinity from Reformed Theological Seminary, the faith debate master of ceremonies, oh, yeah. <laughs> Troy Skinner. Welcome to the show. This week's going to be a bit of a potpourri, going to bounce around just a little bit. Uh, we've been running uh, the lockdown tapes edition of the faith debate because we record the show in advance, and as these shows are being recorded that you're hearing right now, we still have lots of restrictions that make doing the kind of show that we typically do a little more difficult. And uh, so uh, we're making use of stuff that we've that I've used in other contexts and, and sharing them with you now in this forum on the Frederick Faith Debate on WFMD. Last week we were talking about the remnant church. Uh, this week we're going to have some uh, extra thoughts on that topic before then shifting to talk a little bit about you know, Jesus being Lord, not Caesar. That's going to be a tease for next week's show because all of next week's shows we focused on the theme of Jesus being Lord, not Caesar. And we're also going to talk this week about why pray if God knows everything already. Uh, you ever wonder about that question? Somebody asked me that question, asked me to tackle it, and so we did uh, on Facebook Live, and it's also available on YouTube. And uh, so now we're going to share it with you on the, the answers to those kinds of questions here on The Faith Debate. You can follow us on social media, Facebook. I'm on MeWe and Parlor and Gab as well. I'm also uh, on a new website that uh, has been developed by the same company that owns WFMD. It's called The Household of Faith in Christ is the name of the church, and the website is householdoffaithinchrist.com. So uh, you can check all of that sort of stuff out. So anyway, remaining thoughts on last week's subject matter, which was the remnant church, and then we'll get into the other topics that I mentioned just a second ago. Thanks for listening. There's nothing wrong with having blessings. No. You know, God blesses. There are numerous stories in the Bible of people being blessed by God in ways that outstrip even maybe what we feel like we're blessed with. There's nothing wrong with being blessed. The problem is the expectation of the blessing and the the chasing after the blessing for our satisfaction. Like we're not satisfied if we're not blessed. Well, we should be satisfied in Christ. We should draw our satisfaction from Christ. And then any additional satisfaction, if you will, any additional blessing that God wants to pour into our lives on top of that is fine. And it used to be like as recently as a few years ago that you know Joel Olstein is a poster child for this. You know, he like to poke like really likes to poke fun at Joel Olstein's messages. They're all you know, pop culture or feel-good messages and you know you're you can be a champion. Yeah, spiritual pep talk kind of thing. Uh, but now it's not just Joel. There, I don't, I, I don't want to besmirch the name of somebody that I really respect is his ministry and a lot of his teaching, so I'm not going to use the name of, of this next individual, but somebody I have high regard for and is so solid in so many ways. I recently saw him on a, a secular television show, a uh, news interview kind of a program, and he was asked about whether or not you know, Hindus and Buddhists and Jews who don't, you know, believe in Jesus Christ, if they're going to hell. 
And he tap danced, surprising, shockingly to me, around the question, and, and he didn't exactly deny Jesus. He answered it by saying, well, if. I will answer it by saying, if. If the Bible is true, and if Jesus really lived, and if Jesus really died and rose again, and if he really ascended into heaven, and if he is the Son of God, and all of his promises that we read about in the Bible and have been taught by the church for all these years, if all of that is so, well then, you know, that's what I believe, that's what the word seems to say. But for the Buddhists and the Hindus, this is the part that got me so concerned. For those people, I don't know the mind of God. You know, for me to try to guess what God's going to do with those people, it's really not up to me, it's up to God. We've surrendered contextualization and embraced relevancy. We want so bad to be relevant because we want people to like us. And we want them to like us partly because we're egotistical and we want to be liked. But also we want to be liked because we want to be winsome. We want people to trust us and, and think well of us so that we'll have influence in their life. And then somehow through our influence we can coach them into the kingdom of God. And it doesn't work that way. We don't coach people into the kingdom of God. We don't influence people into the kingdom of God. We think much too highly of ourselves if that's the case. We can, we can help, God can use us to help lead them to the water, but God's the one that makes them drink. He will use our foolish efforts to his own, his own reasons. And so that pastor that I'm talking about, instead of saying, if this, and I don't know mind of God, if he had said something more like, well, it's a hard truth, but the scriptures clearly teach that there's one way to the Father, it's through the Son, and that Son is the man God, Jesus Christ, and the reason we all need him. It's not just the Hindus and the Buddhists and the Jews and the name anybody who's not actually a Christian. It's, it's not, and it's even the Christians too. It's, it's everybody. They need him because we're all sinners. The Buddhists are sinners. The Christians are sinners. The only thing that's different between the Christian and the Buddhist is the Christian is a redeemed sinner. That's it. And hopefully we see a difference in the way we walk out our lives then because sanctification uh, begins to take root in our lives and we become transformed over time and increasingly get better and better in our walk. So if that sounds interesting to you, then that's what we're gonna be aiming at here in our house church. People walking the walk, helping each other and holding each other accountable and not doing it in a legalistic, mean-spirited, argumentative kind of a way, but doing it in an honest, transparent way. And that might not come very easily. That might not come right away. We're gonna have to work at it. I titled this Facebook post about, you know, what we have now at this time is the remnant church. And all we've ever had is a remnant church. That's a theme throughout scripture, that God's got a remnant for himself. And that's been driven home in a big way right now. The big mega churches, most of the people attending those churches probably aren't Christians. Only God knows their heart for sure, but boy, I wonder. Even the smaller churches that have 100 people in them, most of those people might not be Christians. I'm beginning to think there's a lot of pastors who might not be Christians. I've always known there was a remnant. How small is the remnant? We don't know. So maybe the house churches are the way to go. I don't know. And I'm not trying, I'm not naming names here, so hopefully that'll keep me from getting in trouble. We don't know anybody else's heart. Only God knows. And only God knows the, those who he has called to himself. Only God knows. But based on the, the evidence or lack thereof of fruit, 
and faithfulness and uh, commitment to proclamation of the truth uh, and standing up and being willing to be different from the world, based on those kinds of indicators, it does make you wonder. And so, why do we pray if God already knows everything? So first of all, there are, mo there are many reasons why we pray, even though God is sovereign, He's in control of everything, He knows everything, He knows the, the desires of our hearts before we utter them, so why do we pray? Well, first of all, and it's not the only answer, so don't roll your eyes. <laughs> Obedience. God tells us to pray. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says that we should pray without ceasing. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus says, speaks, he says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Philippians 4, verse 6, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be, no, be made known to God. So even if we had no other reason, this would be reason enough to pray. But a good follow-up question might be, well, okay, God commands us to pray, that's why we pray, but why does God command us? To pray and there are a multitude of points we made on this one God chooses to work through secondary means he can do everything by divine fiat if he wants but he chooses to use means more often than not that's his normal way of doing things God is the primary cause but he he works through us and our prayers I mean similarly God he, he could have dropped his written word right straight out of the sky I mean, that's kind of what the Mormon uh, view on their scriptures is, right? Just kind of, boom, here it is. Uh, it's actually not too dissimilar from what the Muslim view is as well. Uh, instead, God has worked through uh, human authors to write the Christian scriptures. You know, God, he could have trounced Israel's enemies all by himself without any sort of intermediary. And yet... He had his people fight and win those battles. The people participated in the move of God. Anyone who was a parent actually can relate to this because parents do the same thing with their kids. I think, good parents do. We can do everything ourselves for them. However, we help them to grow by having them work at doing it themselves along with us. We help them, or they participate with it and they have a sense of participation, a sense of being in connection with you as the parent, and we have that sense of being in connection in, in God as, as our Heavenly Father. A second point to be made, being involved with God in these secondary causes that I was just talking about, well, let's ask this question. What's in it for us? It encourages our faith, right? When God calls you to prayer and you pray for something, and then, you know, and then we witness the, the answer to some of those prayers, that encourages our faith, it strengthens our relationship with him. So that's another good reason to pray, just as, as talking with your best friend would strengthen your relationship with your best friend, talking with God, and, and part of prayer is listening too, by the way. It's not endless, ceaseless talking. It's listening and, and hearing the Spirit speak to you. It's uh, That rapport builds a strengthened relationship. And the, pr prayer, uh, the time of prayer provides us the space, quote-unquote, to 
contemplate what God is saying to us, to really hear him as we understand what it is uh, that uh, we we hear him as we know and understand that he hears us, is what I'm trying to say. Mm. Uh, Psalm 77 verse 1 says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. And so one of the reasons we go in prayer is we know that when we do that, God's hearing us. Don't you like to be heard? No one ever listens to me. Well, in prayer, God listens to you. A third point. If none of these other points existed, even if it wasn't a command, consider the importance of this particular point. When we pray, it brings God great pleasure. Hmm? So, if he loves it when we talk with him, then that should help us to want to lean into him, to, to rest upon him, to trust him. Uh, like when a loved one comes to you to share their innermost heart. <clears throat> you know, somebody comes to you and they really open up to you. How does that make you feel? That friend valued you enough, trusted you enough to really be vulnerable with you. And so we're doing that to God, not that, as though he needs it, and yet we're, we're offering that up almost as a sacrifice and a gift to God in praise. So even if God didn't ask you to pray, even if it wasn't a command from Scripture to pray, even if there weren't all these other benefits, wouldn't you still want to, for this reason alone, to make God feel good? <laughs> right? And remember, the, the, the command to pray, this will be the last point, it comes with a promise. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his disciples, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. So there's a, a promise attached to prayer. And so we've got, I don't know, three, four, five, six combinations of reasons there. So pick your favorite one and let that motivate you today and tomorrow to pray. And Angela's a prayer warrior. Angela spends a, a high percentage of her day in prayer every day. I don't know, about, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm willing to bet you pray, I'll bet all combined, you might spend two hours a day praying. Something, yeah, maybe something like that. Right? I mean, that's, you know, some, some people, that's their entire waking hours of their day. Uh, ...asks the question of, you know, what is the chief end of man, you know, in today's language, of humankind? What's, it, what's, the, what's the chief end? What's the reason we're here? Why, why did God make us and place us on planet Earth? And the answer to the question is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And those two are interrelated. So we glorify God. When we come to God in prayer, we're glorifying. We're acknowledging that he's God. We're not. So we're going to him as God and giving him glory. It makes him sound, oh, God's so egotistical. But why does God want to have us glorify him? Because he knows that as we're obedient to him, this is true for all the commands, not just the command to pray, but all the commands from God. Uh, when we're obedient, we're bringing glory to God in our obedience, and in doing so, we are then able to enjoy Him oh, oh, oh. forever. Mm -hmm. So it's for our benefit. He doesn't sharing that. 
Yeah, he doesn't uh, need. Yeah, right. yeah, and he shares his glory, right, yeah, as co-heirs right, with Christ. Right. And so everything is because he loves us. Um, and people, there's obstacles to prayer, and sometimes people feel inadequate, uh, inadequate because they're sinful and they're guilty and they feel like they're ashamed and they can't pray because of that reason. Uh, I will remind you that, you know, Christ tells us we're to pray in his name. And if you're praying in his name, it's because you're bearing his name, that you oh, you belong to him. And if you belong to him, you bear no shame or guilt anymore. That's the deal. That is the gospel message. And so if you're not praying because you feel guilty and unworthy, uh, remind yourself that God sees you as worthy because when God sees you, he chooses to assign Christ's perfect record to you. So he doesn't see your guilt and shame. He sees Christ's obedience and and. A, and places those benefits into your account. And so remind yourself of that, and you can go before the, the throne of God with with uh, with humility and yet boldness yes. at the same time, because you don't have to worry about you know, your sinful past, your sinful present. Sometimes people feel inadequate, they don't know how to pray. And if that's where you are, and, you, and you've never been good at it, uh, a really good way is to pray God's word back to him. Yes. Open up the Psalms and just because those are prayers. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there are other things too, but they're at, they're at, they're at, the, at the least they're prayers. Mm -hmm. And so read the Psalms to God. Pray his word back to him. Mm -hmm. And as you get more comfortable doing that, you can start to add your own words. Yes. And you do that over time, and you start to get used to using biblical language in prayer, and later on you'll be able to pray God's word back to him oh, without no. even having the word in front of you. Mm -hmm. It must become part of your vocabulary, if you will, and that can be a good habit. And if you're one who's never prayed aloud in front of somebody, there's no guilt trip. I get it. People have different hang-ups and stuff, and, but I would strongly encourage you to find an opportunity and start small. Pray aloud in front of your children or grandchildren. Pray aloud in a small group setting where people you really trust and you know that they're not going to judge you for the way you pray and expand your circle somehow. Because if you won't pray in front of people, how are you ever going to witness to people and then pray with the person when they respond to your witness and say, wow, I'm so broken, I'm so lost. How are you going to turn to them and say in that moment of brokenness where the Holy Spirit's moving and say, you know what, would you mind if I prayed with you right now? How are you ever going to do that if you don't get to a place where you'll pray aloud in front of somebody? So you it is tough. You know, I've been a pastor a couple of different places, but never have I been a pastor where my income and my livelihood was dependent on any sort of money the church would pay. To be honest, the churches were so small, we were tithing to the church more than they were paying me. It's like I was paying to be the pastor. It was never about the money for me, but an awful lot of pastors, if something bad happens and their congregation turns on them and they get ousted as the pastor, they're out of work. And I'm not saying that's a get-out-of-jail-free card, but that's an additional amount of pressure that they don't have. And MacArthur doesn't really have that kind of pressure. He's been the pastor at that church in California for 51 years. He's an older man now. If they were to fire him, he would just retire. And he's, he's fine. He's written so many best-selling books in Christian circles that I'm not even sure if he takes a salary from the church anymore at this point. I don't know. So he's not fiscally tied to it. That gives him a flexibility other pastors might not feel. And the other thing, I mentioned that story, people from his church were beginning to show up on their own. Mm -hmm. And so that's my charge to you, Facebook viewer. If you want your church to start gathering again, 
support your pastor. Let your pastor know, hey, we want to meet. Actually, and put your mm-hmm. put your boots on the ground and show up and say, I know you're not officially meeting, but do you mind if I sit in a pew while you do the virtual service for everybody else? And if enough people start to do that, you'll give courage to your pastor mm-hmm. to do what now John MacArthur is uh, having the courage That's to do. Point. And one of the things about the, the, the question that Dina asked, before our Facebook thing, we were talking about the importance of semantics. And this is actually a good example of the importance of semantics. How many, how many friends do I have? Well, according to Facebook, I have close to a thousand. I don't have a thousand friends. <laughs> Who are we kidding? Right? Seriously. That, nobody has that many friends. You might have that many acquaintances. I have more than a thousand acquaintances. That whole, you know, getting together virtually, you know, to say we're gathering, when we're not, but to say we're doing it virtually, that semantic difference matters. You're either gathering or not, and there's so much physical. One of the problems that the church has faced historically has been a hyper-spiritualism. One of the labels, and one of the versions of that would be Gnosticism, you know, and this is some sort of platonic idea where it's all about, you know, the spiritual is good and the physical is, is if not bad, at least lesser. Gnostic views, it was kind of, it was bad. Oh. And so we minimize the physical and make everything hyper-spiritual. So it doesn't matter if we physically congregate together. It doesn't matter if we come together and greet one another with a holy kiss. That doesn't matter. What matters is that we spiritually come together. Well, that's fine. We do spiritually come together. But it's the, the biblical message is not merely about a spiritual reality. Yeah, it's it's a spiritual and a physical reality. They're both real. They're both Whoa. important. And you can't sacrifice one any more than the churches that sacrifice the spiritual and they turn their churches into secular civic clubs mm-hmm. where you know we're a food pantry. Or are you a church or a food pantry? Mm-hmm. So you know if it, you can the church has been guilty on both sides of that. It's both. So I would encourage you to get your church to get some muster to meet and this is going to sound really controversial. If you can't, if you belong to a church and you can't see the light of the end of the tunnel with your church coming to its... I don't think I would want to belong to a church where the secular state is the head of my church. Mm -hmm. I want to belong to a church where Christ is the head of my church. Mm -hmm. Because if Christ is not the head of the church, guess what? It's not a true church. Mm -hmm. It's the church of Caesar. Yeah, who wants to belong to the church of Caesar? What would we call that? Caesarianity? Who wants to belong to that? We want to belong to a God-fearing, Christ-exalting, Holy Spirit-filled, mm-hmm. biblically obedient, biblically informed church. That's what we want. So it's it's time for us. It's well past time. You know, and I'll give a, a pass also to MacArthur and others who were a little wobbly at the beginning. Because of my personal experience, I was a little bit, quite a bit, I was probably a month and a half to two months ahead of the curve on understanding the risks of the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. I was way out in front of it. And I'm not always way out in front of something. This is just one of those rare times in life when I was way out in front. And everybody's like panicking. I'm like, what are you panicking for? It's like a bad flu. We don't panic and shut everything down when there's a bad flu. Why are we freaking out? And nobody was, was, was well, nobody a very large swath of the Christian community was not there. Very few were where I was. Uh, and But now, it's five months in, it's clear. I mean, the death rate originally was projected to be 5%. Now it's 
going to be less than 0.5%. That's a huge difference. There are, uh, where John MacArthur's the, the pastor in California, where we just heard this stat today, was it 350, I think, on average, 350, 360 abortions a day mm -hmm. on average in California? And they're worried about the, I don't know, the, the couple of COVID deaths they might have a day. I don't know exactly what they're doing. Right. But it's so out of balance. And people who um, are Christians and they're afraid to go to church, that's why you have a health condition, and I'm not going to judge right. where you are, you through that. But I would ask you, this is the pastoral part of me coming out, I would ask you to check your heart and make sure you're at least being consistent. If you're that afraid to go to church, are you also not going to restaurants? Mm -hmm. Are you not? Are you also not going to work? Are you also not uh, attending protests? Mm -hmm. Are you also not going to the grocery store? Are you also not going to Lowe's and Home Depot to buy something to do a project in your yard? Mm -hmm. If you're going to pl places where people are gathering and congregating and milling about and there are germs everywhere, and you're doing that in all these other spheres of your life, but you won't do it for church, man, I, I wonder where where would where is that person's priority? And you can only answer that between you and God, maybe, and, and, and the biblically informed leadership and shepherding of your pastor, assuming you have a biblically informed <laughs> pastor helping you uh, in that matter to figure out where you are on that. But the, uh, the protesters, they're more committed to their cause than the church is to his, mm -hmm. its cause, the Christ's cause. Wow. Wow, indeed, huh? That's uh, that's the state of the church these days. What are you going to do? Anyway, that's that a little teaser for how we're going to tackle uh, things next week. Uh, that's kind of on the theme of that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Thanks for listening. Find us online, WFMD.com, also on Facebook. Find me on Gab and Parlor and MeWe and also on Facebook and at HouseholdOfFaithInChrist.com. Thanks so much for listening. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from right now. God bless. God bless.